I've just taken the biggest swallow of cold coffee you could imagine, and I feel not great. I'm just going to power through it. everybody welcome back to witch fix today we're looking at a magical realism novel which is described as similar to kind of alice hoffman and sarah allison Adden. sarah addison allen i think <laughs> having trouble saying that um but they're both authors that we've looked at before and i got this one out of the library just based on like the first little bit of the blurb and the, the title it's called the witches of cambridge and it's by mena van prague so uh, this seems to be one in a sort of line of magical realism uh, chiclet novels um, and this one is specifically about witches as opposed to just sort of more general magical realism. Uh, the blurb is this, Amandine Bissett has always had the power to feel the emotions of those around her. It's a secret she can share only with her friends, all professors, all witches, when they gather for meetings on the college rooftops. Although lately she senses the ties among her colleagues beginning to unravel. If only she had her student knower's power to hear the innermost thoughts of others, she might know how to patch things up. Mathematics professor Kat is struggling with unrequited love, but refuses to cast spells to win anyone's heart. Her sister, Cosima, is not above using such magic, sprinkling pastries in her bakery with equal parts sugar and enchantment. But when Cosima sets her sights on the love of Kat's life, she sets up a chain of events that turns each of the witches' worlds upside down. So there's a lot going on in there. Um, lots of different plot lines, lots of different witches. And the book isn't terribly long. It's only about 200 and... 80 pages so a lot shorter than the previous book that i looked at if i have released these episodes in the order that i think i will uh so it was a very quick read read it in two days there's a lot to like in this book it has that kind of normal charming magical realism atmosphere uh, you've got some talk about baking and sort of kitchen witchery going on and then a lot of talk of art so if you're into art and you like to read like poetic descriptions about a love of art or literature which is another sort of hobby uh, brought into the book and this is all up your alley i personally found some of it a little bit kind of bordering on feeling a bit pretentious it made me dislike some of the characters a bit just because of how uptight and persnickety they were about art when they were discussing it and getting annoyed about people who had different opinions about books to them um and, and being very defensive of their opinions also because they are like cambridge university professors there is a certain amount of that like privilege in there so it made it hard for me at least to kind of relate to many of the characters i think i related to noah most because she was a student and because she was the only character who seemed to have a sense of self-deprecation she was a, a bit down on herself it kind of cut through some of that other more um egocentric character traits and just made her a little bit more likable to me anyway she also had the storyline that i was the most interested in and now we're going to get into spoiler territory because i will be talking about the plot and i am going to trigger one for mentions of sexual assault and coercion so we're introduced to this cast of characters we first meet uh amandine who is like the first character we meet i did not take to her 
Uh, in fact, it kind of put me off right from the start because um, it, she's talking about how she met her husband and they were looking at a Van Gogh and like talking about it. And uh, this is on page eight. A moment later, the thought was still lingering in her head. Amandine heard laughter as bright and brilliant as moonshine. She turned to see Elliot standing alone in front of a Van Gogh, his laughter flooding the painting and filling the room. Seized by a sudden urge she couldn't explain, Amandine found herself walking towards him. When she reached him, she didn't extend her hand and introduce herself. Why are you laughing? Elliot turned his smile on her. What? She asked again and he shrugged. I don't know. There's a quirky joy about it, the sky rolling like waves, the moon and stars like little suns. I think the artist wanted us to smile. I don't think so, Amandine said, feeling the need to contradict him. Van Gogh was a depressive. The painting was the view from his sanatorium window. I doubt he was smiling at the time. Now, it's probably the way I'm reading that, but I just wanted to illustrate the way that sounded in my head. It's probably a really nice flirtatious bantery way to take that section. But that is how I heard it in my head. I read it as being very confrontational. She's walked up to him and she hasn't introduced herself. She hasn't given him her hand. She's just like, why are you having this reaction to this work of art? Uh, and then saying that his reaction is not valid. Uh, so they have a little bit more of this like bantery um, discussion. And then on like, the opposite page, page nine, uh, he introduces himself as being a studying law at Trinity. And he, uh, he said, it says, he gave a little bow with a flourish of his hand. Elliot Ellis Walker Jones at your service. Ah, so you're one of them. Armandine raised a teasing eyebrow, her glance resting for a moment on his thick, dark hair. I should have known. One of whom? A lawyer, a double barrel name, a snob. Um, and then he says, uh, the first charge I already confessed to, the second I can't deny, Elliot said. But how can you claim the third? Your accent, your name, your knowledge of art, even though it's not your subject. Armandine smiled, feeling a sparkle on her skin as it began to tingle. You probably play the piano disgustingly well and row for Trinity. And I bet a hundred quid you went to Eton. So again, like, there's hints in there, like, obviously her skin's sparkling. She's starting to feel attracted to this guy. But I just couldn't shake reading it as being very kind of confrontational and even the fact that she was choosing to tease him about these things it's like well you're both students at Cambridge and just because he's studying law why wouldn't he have an appreciation for art like I studied creative writing at university I still understand that other people enjoy books um so that didn't get me off to the best start with that character and to be honest I found her storyline real dull because basically the storyline is she marries this guy and it's now like the present they have two sons together and she thinks he's having an affair and in chiclet books like this and I'm not saying chiclet in like a derogatory sense I'm just using it as a shorthand for you know a book with a romantic storyline aimed at women there's nothing wrong with that I enjoy those but in a sort of chiclet book like this, the storyline is usually either you find out he is cheating or the wife spends most of the book going, oh my God, he's cheating. Oh, our life together is falling apart. Oh, remember this good time we're on the beach laughing together and feeding each other sandwiches? And then I guess the end, it's like, oh, he wasn't cheating. He was just hiding something else, which is usually like, uh, you know, his cousin or ex-business partner has died and now he has to adopt his daughter or um, he was trying to plan a holiday for them all along or something like that. And in this case, he is hiding a child that he didn't know previously existed from another relationship. Um, 
And that, by the time the storyline reached that, it was in the very last part of the novel. And I did kind of enjoy some of how it looked at how difficult it is to slot, like, a teenage daughter, a very troubled teenage daughter, into an existing family unit and try and show her understanding. But there wasn't a huge amount of space to really expand on that. Um, but I did kind of enjoy the end of the storyline, but for the rest of it, I was just like, I kind of know where this is going. Uh, the next character we're introduced to is drum roll please noah sparrow um her name is spelled n-o-a so i just read it as noah but i don't know if there's another way to pronounce that but i'm just getting wrong but noah she's a university student and i found her power interesting because we've been introduced to amandine she has like witchcraft and they can do like witchy things but they all have like the specific kind of speciality or innate talent and Amandine's is being able to sense people's emotions. So she can feel that something is wrong, that her husband is anxious or worried or upset. But she doesn't know why. She can't read thoughts. She doesn't know what's causing this. Noah, on the other hand, has what I think is the most interesting talent in the book, as well as the most interesting storyline, because she can see people's deepest secrets. And she has this almost, uh, she describes it as like a sort of Tourette's, where she can't, keep it to herself once she knows a secret she has to say it she can't even really seem to lie about things that she herself is experiencing she's just kind of like a human lie detector and i find that really interesting and i really felt for her and bonded with her when we see a little bit of her history and we find out that when she was very little at like a family event she just blurted out that her mother was having an affair and it essentially tore her parents marriage apart as it would and her mother although her mother can't admit it to herself or to Noah blames her for the breakdown of their family, even though she was the one who was cheating. And it really upset her dad. And from that point on, she has seen this not as a gift, but as a curse. Now, she's an art student. She wants to be a curator at the National Gallery. And she's a student of Amandine's, because Amandine's a professor at the university. Um, so we're introduced to her and her truth-telling ways. And she quickly became my favourite character, just because, again, she didn't seem as stuffy and academic is how I'm going to describe it as the other characters. Um, and when we get into some of the more problematic elements of the story, uh, like the elements that I found kind of jarring, she wasn't involved in those. Like you could almost lift her story out of this book completely. Um, so I really enjoyed Noah. That was by far and away my highlight for the novel. The other characters we're introduced to are Heloise, who is Amandine's mother, who has lost her like Amandine's father so she's just been widowed she's dealing with grief and loss and all of this stuff and learning to love again and as bad as it sounds I skimmed most of her chapters because again it was kind of a familiar storyline she's grieving she doesn't want to let go she hears her husband talking to her then she finds some annotations in a book from this like secondhand bookstore and she's like oh i must find the person who wrote these because we share such similar interests and they read hemingway and i agree with everything that they've said in this book and she finds this guy who like used to manage the bookshop and the books belong to him begins to love again feels guilty about it inevitably they end up in a relationship anyway and everything's fine it's a very sweet storyline, it's just one that I feel like I've read a couple of times before and I kind of knew how it was going to end so I skimmed over it and um... also I wasn't that impressed with Eloise and it's mainly because of another scene which felt needlessly combative. Um, so a little bit of explanation. 
the characters in the book, the, the witch professors, they get together for like a kind of book club where they sit on top of various turrets around the city um, on like the roofs of the, their respective colleges and they float in the air and they drink magical hot chocolate that disappears from nowhere and they talk about books. And I love this as a concept. It's very like downplayed. It's just treated as completely normal, which is fine. We don't really go into a huge amount of like the witchy lore in the book. But I, I liked it. I actually, when I I visited Cambridge University for this like guest lecture thing that we went to when I was doing A level classics, um, and I actually wrote during the lecture because it was kind of boring. Um, this kind of outline slash beginning of a, like a, a novel or prose poem type thing because I was just so inspired by being around all this architecture and it was so cool and weird and witchy and I can totally see where the inspiration for setting it in Cambridge came from. I kind of wish that this um, book club had been talking about like lots of different types of books but it seems that they were talking about quite serious worthy literary books and I thought to me it would be so funny to just introduce some fun into this because I feel like these characters just need to have some fun but Noah gets invited along by Amandine to this little group because um, she kind of catches them <laughs> while, the, while they're sort of floating around and they invite her up to talk about the book now on page 66 um, she says I hated it I read it two years ago and I hated it Noah says Sorry, she adds, seeing the looks the other members of the Cambridge University Society of Literature and Witchcraft are now fixing her with. I mean to say, well, it wasn't quite to my taste. Eloise looks at the newest member of their little book group, wondering why Armandine has agreed to admit her and regretting her impulsive decision to rejoin the group. It's too soon. It's far too soon. I'm not sure you picked up the subtleties in the story, Amandine suggests, seeing how deep, suddenly distressed her mother looks. Or perhaps you don't remember the story very well. In a sense, it's pretentious rubbish, Noah says. That is to say, I mean, she glances to the other two, still silent members, Cat and George. Cat raises an eyebrow in her direction while George examines his feet, flexing his toes in his shoes. Cat glances at George's feet too. You're talking about Simone de Beauvoir, Eloise snaps in heightened, hushed tones, each word as sharp as a spike of ice, as if Noah had just blasphemed during confession. Suddenly, her fury momentarily eclipsing her sorrow, she feels sparks of angry passion at her fingertips. She was the pioneer of modern feminism. Without her, you would be chained to a kitchen sink with 15 petits enfants tugging at your apron strings. So there's a lot going on in that scene, and I understand why it's there. I understand what's going on here. Noah is, you know, causing disruption like she always does because of her curse. It's meant to make her feel uncomfortable and like she's, you know, putting her feet in her mouth and ruining her new possibility of friendship with these people. And Eloise is, you know, this is her first time coming back to the book club her husband has died she obviously feels a bit raw and emotional you can see in that scene that she feels sadness and then the anger takes over uh, and she just doesn't want to feel sad so she's giving into the anger and i can appreciate all that that's going on but at the same time i liked noah the most because she was cutting through so much of this stuff like talking about lots of descriptions of like paintings and artwork and oh we cambridge professors and we get up here to discuss literature and to me she was just kind of like a breath of fresh air into this plot of, of someone who's just like not afraid to just say no i didn't like it and it feels like she's not allowed to have that opinion uh which and because it was eloise who was like being so against her it really kind of soured me on her for the rest of the book and i just couldn't uh, you know at no point later on does she kind of 
apologise or realise the emotional response that she was having wasn't entirely to do with Noah. She sort of badmouths her later on when they're talking about the experience of, of that evening. So yeah, didn't like her a huge amount. So the other characters mentioned in the blurb are sort of, I, I guess, given slightly lesser billing than those main three. Uh, so you've got Kat and Cosima. We don't find out a huge amount about Kat, to be honest. She's a mathematics professor. She says that her gift is like seeing the world in numbers. We don't really find out really a lot about what that means and what that specific like power would entail. Oh, I forgot to mention, Eloise's power was seeing the future, like snapshots of the future, but she stops being able to do it after her husband passes away um, and feels guilty that she like wasn't able to like predict some of the bad things that have happened. So that's her gift. But for the others, we don't really see their individual talents. So Kat sees the world's in numbers. She's in love with George um, and like confessed her love to him and it, it didn't go well, but she's still kind of obsessed. So she's hanging on in there as a friend, but she harbours feelings for him. And Cosima's her willful younger sister, who she had to look after after their mum passed away. Cosima does a lot of the baking and culinary magic. She runs a cafe, and George goes there all the time. So this is our, our, our cast of characters. Now, the storyline that really interested me, again, was Noah's, and that is because she meets this artist who's this Brazilian... A very charismatic artist and right from the start he gave me the biggest bad vibes because he comes across as so oily like he's just like the 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 flattery the flattery the the really laying it on thick and he just felt like a secondhand shoe salesman and i don't think that's a thing i think i just made that up but that's how he felt to me and so from the moment he was introduced i was like this guy's bad news eventually he, he will become proper bad news uh, and I had to wait quite a long time for that to happen to be honest but eventually we do get there um it feels like there's quite a lot of chapters that end with Noah being like oh something isn't right about this guy something isn't right I, I feel really weird since I've started hanging around him you know eventually I'm, I'm gonna have to do something about that and then nothing would happen for a, a long time but essentially she meets him and talks to him and he says that he can take away her curse and then like he takes her back to his house gives her some weird honey which he feeds her off his finger and um i think I, it's just a personal thing that i don't like people being fed stuff by other people or kissing with food in their mouths or even the possibility that there might be some food in their mouth i had a traumatic experience which i'm not going to tell you about but it bothered me so much that he just like literally just fed her a finger full of honey. And I was just like, no, this guy is bad. But he feeds her some honey. She lets him paint her in the nude. And then they become involved. And he gets her this job that isn't really the job she wanted, but will further his art career. So he's clearly using her. And there's a lot of this stuff. It, it kind of feels like she's made a bargain with the devil. So there's that going on. Uh, which takes Noah away from most of the other main characters. And then the kind of Cosmo Cat storyline is that Cat uh, knows that her and her sister can't have children because they have a blood clotting disorder or something, and it would be really dangerous for them to have a baby. But Cosmo really wants a baby. And this was the point which really started to, like, really rub me the wrong way. Like, everything else was kind of just, like, there. I was just like... I understand what the characters are doing. I don't, you know, necessarily like it or really appreciate some of the detail in the book, but that's just like, you know, little niggly things. I, I was, you know, having a good time. 
with the, the, the general kind of magical realism of it all. And then on page 74, uh, we find out a little bit about Cosma, who is aware that she could potentially die uh, if, if she has a baby. And her husband's, like, she's just left her husband and is very raw and really just wants a child. And she decides to do magic to try and find the ideal candidate to have a child with. And it says on page 74, in six months she'll turn 30 and Cosima knows that a woman's fertility drops drastically after that fateful birthday. The clock is ticking. Now that she's lost Tommy and sworn off true love, she needs to find a man who shares her dream of parenthood. She's given up on the idea of being loved. She's no longer looking for Prince Charming. She's just looking for a man who's happy to impregnate her. A man who wants to be a father. Given what Kat told her all those years ago, Cosima understands the enormous risks of such a venture, which is why she's being extra stringent in her standards. She needs to find the best possible father for her baby to compensate for the worst case scenario that she won't survive to be its mother, just as her own mother didn't for her. And since she's failed to find and keep romantic love by natural means, Cosima decides that morning to settle for platonic love by magical means instead. Um... I read that and I just was like, what? Um, because I, I, I generally don't go a bundle on babies. Let's just put that out there. I'm, I'm not like a maternal person. But it's like, you know, I, I could understand if she was just desperate to have a baby. If that was the plot line, fine. I don't get it, but I understand it. But this is just like, she's like, I know that this has like a 90% chance of killing me and I want to do it anyway. Because reasons? I just didn't understand it. As a starting point in her character development, okay, fine. Clearly she needs some time to come to terms with, you know, losing her husband, like her husband running off, not being able to have children. She needs some time to like redefine what she wants personally and kind of reassess the possibility of her life goals. But no, the end of the book is like, you know, she's pregnant. She's just like, oh, I'm taking herbs. I'm doing magic to keep myself and the baby safe. It's all going to be fine. And then she dies just randomly off screen. Suddenly we're at a funeral and it's like she just vanishes from the story. And I was just like, this woman did something incredibly stupid. And literally her sister, her, none of her friends were like, no, this is fucking messed up. They just let her do it. And now she's dead. And I just, I, I just couldn't get on board with it. I just thought, what a ridiculous thing to have happened. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it, it just jumped out at me. And it was very, it just kind of put me off her. Because I just, I, I couldn't understand her motivation as a character. And then on top of that, the spell that she does accidentally goes wrong. And causes George to fall in love with her. And... She knows this and she keeps trying to like undo the spell. And I'm like, yes, definitely try and undo that spell. Because even if she doesn't know that her sister's in love with him, you know, you can't just entrap people with a love spell. But no, she gets, you know, she, she has sex with him a bunch and just decides that he's going to be the father of her baby. And later we find out that George is actually gay. And he didn't know how to tell Kat that, which is why he kind of put her off all, the, all, the, all that time ago and just wanted to be her friend. So... She's done a love spell on someone who is gay, who has no interest in having sex with her, which has caused him to sleep with her. And even if he did want to be a parent, like, uh, he, he just says, turns around at the end and says, oh, yeah, I knew it was a spell. Uh, like, 
I know it's a spell now, but I'm okay with what happened. But she, she definitely assaulted him. Like, that's not okay. And the thing about it is that in the storyline with the sort of greasy secondhand shoe salesman, he's also kind of seducing Noah with magic and being with her under false pretenses. And he is a giant villain. He's like the villain of the story. At the end, George uses magic to trap him in one of his own paintings because he's a, an evil soul-stealing rapist. But Cosimo is just allowed to do this and it's treated like no big deal. And like between those two things, I, I just couldn't get on board with her character. I didn't get it. And I felt like maybe there's people who would accept these decisions that she's made and who would think, yes, it's definitely a great idea to try and have a baby that will probably kill you because God forbid you could do anything else with your life. But I, ju I just couldn't see my way to understanding that reasoning. So that was, that was unfortunate. To lighten the mood somewhat, I found the bit where she eats the honey and I'm going to read it to you because it's disgusting. <laughs> it's on page 99. Uh, the, the oily guy is called Santiago. I kept thinking that he was called Iago and I was like, no, that's the parrot in Aladdin. Santiago pulls open a dark red cupboard and takes out a glass jar. He unscrews the lid, dips in one long thin finger and holds it out so his fingertip, coated in thick honey, nearly touches Noah's lip. It's the sweetest, most delicious honey you will ever taste, he says. Noah looks up into soft eyes. Slowly, she opens her mouth, inviting Santiago to slip his finger between her teeth. Her heart beating so fast, she can feel it in every inch of her body. Noah curls her tongue around his finger and sucks at the honey. And it is indeed the sweetest and most delicious honey she's ever tasted. <laughs> I just can't. This may put me off honey for life. I think I meant to find that disgusting, but... It's just a personal thing. I stop feeding people. It's so gross. But there we go. Uh, one part I did find really good, uh, really interesting, is page 163. Cat does a sort of spell. Uh, it's, it's one of the only spells that we really see people do in the novel. Um, but she does it to try and break the bonds between George and Cosima. Because she knows that this is a spell. And that it's it's wrong. And she tries to break it. I think she succeeds because George does snap out of it after this. But it's a really interesting spell. And I'm going to read a little bit to you. Now she unwraps the bouquet of dark red roses, begins ripping off the petals and adding them to the flower, salt, sugar and water. She snips off 13 thorns and sprinkles them into the mixture. Cat grinds in the black pepper. Jasmine, separation and basil, hate. Then when she's kneaded the dough, pounding and slapping it on the breadboard until it's far too dense to be delicious, Cat adds the final touch, two pods of vanilla and three drops of her own blood. She doesn't let it rise, doesn't stroke or shape it, but slams it straight into the oven. Then she whispers a few words and sprinkles them with a few exquisite equations to ensure the perfect balance of the spell. So she basically makes this loaf of, like, hate bread. And she has to sit there at the table um, in the dark, um, and, and eat two slices of it to try and like cause the, the spell to happen. I really liked that. I really liked that detail. And at the end of the book, everyone comes together finally after Noah eventually reaches out for help, which I feel like she should have done sooner, but then the book would have been a lot shorter and it was already quite short. Um, they all get together and they like break the spell. It kind of reminded me of the practical magic movie, you know, when all the women get together and they're like chanting and trying to get rid of the man, the hold this man has on her. Uh, basically that. 
Uh, and then some more stuff about how Cosima is dead now. Uh, and then the book ends. And to be honest, I, I, I was really... Like, I, I was okay with the book. Uh, there were some characters that I could take or leave, but obviously in a multi-character cast, you're not going to like everybody. I thought it was a really decent uh, magical realism story and had some sort of interesting elements in, in terms of, like, Noah's storyline. But the Cosima thing really kind of got to me to the point where I was just reading the book in disbelief, like, why is no one saying anything? This is, like, the elephant in the room for me. So... That whole storyline was just kind of antithetical to anything that I could understand. So for that reason, I, I can't really say that I enjoyed the book like fully, but I definitely like think it was a pretty good book. And I might check out like other books that she's written, uh, like The Dress Shop of Dreams, which is advertised at the back of this one. Um, just to like, get a bit more of that magical realism, uh, maybe take that storyline out of the equation and see how I feel about the general writing style, because I enjoyed the writing style, it was it was pretty good. Um, it was just that one, kind of two elements, like the, the fact that what she'd done like with the love spell went kind of unaddressed, and then the fact that she was just like, I'm just going to die so that a baby can exist, which made no sense to me. Anywho, if you have any more recommendations, do uh, drop them in the YouTube comments or get in touch via email. You can find all the information in the description below, as well as links to buy my novel Stranded. There may be an announcement coming soon about new books and new links in the description, so check that out. And in the meantime, I'll see you in the next one. Bye!